Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another episode of Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont, and I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for well over 10 years. Today, I am joined by guest, uh, Rob Brayman. Rob, how are you today? I'm great, Kevin. Thanks for having me on the show today. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. We really appreciate it. I'm sure we have a, a great podcast and story today with some great value for our listeners. Now, Rob is what we call a serial entrepreneur, and he's a senior partner at Cogent Analytics. He's a father of two and a husband for 24 plus years, been representing clients for almost 17 and he's what you'd call a very passionate person about helping privately held businesses achieve new levels of success through improved operational and profitability strategies. Uh, I would love to give you more details on Rob, but really, Rob, I think you're the expert on you, so uh, I'll let you take it away. Thanks, Kevin. And uh, your your intro makes me sound way more impressive than I than I think I am, but thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. So... So if I were to do the history of Rob Brayman, I, I started, I lost my father young. So I went through kind of a trial tribulation period from the age of 15, made it through high school, going to college and uh, ended up joining the military. And I had the privilege of serving uh, with Special Operations Command. I was specifically with 1st Battalion, 5th Special Forces Group, which really created a foundation for much about the way I look at life. When I got out of the military, did what most normal people do when they get out. I had my first J-O-B. And by the time I was, I think, 26, 27 years old, I had my first position of equity that had somebody offered me to help them come run their company. After that, I ended up with a, a partnership that my partner and I built three different organizations together over a period of about a decade we had the, the joy of selling one, and then I liquidated to him about a year after that. Uh, I was about to jump in and do it a fourth time, and uh, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and told my wife, I think I'm going to – I got the funding from the bank yeah. and told her I had never – had never you know hadn't had a, an actual work for somebody else position for a very long time. And don't ask me why, but I interviewed for some jobs and I ended up becoming a business analyst working for another firm hmm. Okay, and was quickly one of the top four or five people in that firm for, for the next 11 years of my life, representing small business owners all over the country. Yeah. So I've, I've actually run, a, run a, a discovery, what we refer to as a discovery in the 48 contiguous states in America. So during that period, I got to see this beautiful country in all shapes, forms, and, and fashions and got to meet some amazing entrepreneurs across the country that have shared value and shared spirit about you know building companies, taking care of employees, going to market the right way, trying to build. And I always refer to a company as a wealth creation vehicle for the entrepreneur, just so long as it's not about greed yep. and yep. sacrificing value. Most entrepreneurs don't, do not look at their business that way, but we'll get into that, I'm sure, later in the show. I separated with that company in 2013. I had, I had a private entity that, that really was just a vehicle for me to help clients separately since 2005. And, and I turned Brayman & Associates, for all intents and purposes, into Cogent Analytics in 2014. 
Yep. And uh, I just didn't, I could not share the value of the firm I was working for. In my mind, it was more about the build hour than it was about taking care of the client, taking care of the entrepreneur and making a difference. Yeah. So the, 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 the blessing I have today is that we've gone from six employees to right at about 140. Wow. In, the, in that five-year period, we have made the Inc. 500 once. In our third year, uh, our fourth year, we were in the 5,000. And last year, if and I, I want to be very careful about how I say this. I can do math, and it is a growth metric. So I'm, I'm fairly confident that we will have the privilege of being awarded the Inc. 5,000 standard three years in a row. And uh, we're off to a famous start this year. We do, we do business in 22 states. And uh, are just very carefully growing to plan uh, across the country. We expect that we'll be in all 50 states by the end of 2022. Excellent. That's good to hear. Easy mission when you're passionate about it. It, it is. Right, right. And it gives you, you've got some great experiences um, in, in doing this too. You know, I had a opportunity once, I, I, we work out of Hatton, and I had an opportunity with a, a job that afforded me the ability to tr- to go around all of Manhattan and see all the sites. You know, I didn't grow up in Manhattan, so this to me this was a treat. And it's uh, when you get a opportunity with a career that you can go around and have so many great experiences. It's a, really a blessing. Definitely rounded me out as a human being. You know, I sure this country in all of its in all of its joy, and I mean, just from the landscape, set the landscape aside, people, Americans. You know, the thing that makes us as a country fantastic is the shared value from border to border. Yeah. And for me, it's always been about the entrepreneur, you know, that that unique frame of mind, that that person that's willing to put it at risk to build something that in their mind is their future, their family, something special. There's a special kind of crazy that goes along with being an entrepreneur. (laughs) Yeah, I agree with that. (laughs) Special kind of crazy. Special kind of crazy. <laughs> so, Rob, let's let's move along here. Let's let's talk about something. Can you share with our listeners what steps would they need to take to start a business and become an entrepreneur? Um, so, I apologize for the long um. I, I, I struggle a little bit about where to start this, but let me see if I can jump right in. One of the one of the most important things in starting a business, and I will tell you from the four occasions that I have done this exercise, that the, the more I did it, the better I got at the planning phase, both from a fiscal responsibility basis. And, right. and keep in mind, Kevin, that eight out of 10 businesses fail in the first five years. Yeah. And yeah. The, the other metric that most people don't talk about is that by year 10, only one of the remaining two are still standing. Right. So I'll give you an even crazier statistic. Of the one that is left standing at the 10-year mark, yep. less than 30% of those companies ever make it beyond $5 million. Right. And that's a shame when you think about that, right? That's, you know, that's somebody's life. There's a lot of families attached to that. Yep. So what I, what I like to do is give really straightforward good counsel, which is really good planning. Yeah. Fiscal planning, not just operations, not, hey, I can go get work, but how much is it really going to cost me not to buy the equipment or open the doors, but how much sustainable capital am I going to need to the point in which I'm actually breaking even? 
right. which is where I think most people go wrong. They, right. they open the door and they've got enough to cover the cost of opening the door. And they think kind of like the field of dreams, Kevin, you know, you build it and they will come right. short of a couple of great victories that you can, you can point to on the map. Usually that's not true. That's true. It takes time to develop that profitability. No question. Uh, well, you can be profitable from day one, depending on your market. So I want to be very careful on how right. I respond to this. By and large, you should have a one-year, three-year, five-year. And most people go into business not because they're great business owners. They go into business because they're great technicians. They have right. spirit. They have heart. They have honorable value structure. They're, they're great people. But the business background, you know, learning the business of the business, those behaviors are not are not usually part of the entrepreneurial story. And don't get me wrong, there are some that are. But on the main, for a guy who's been representing clients, you know, 16 and a half, almost 17 years, what I normally see are family-owned businesses where it's a tradesman or a technician or somebody in a in a skill set that said I think I can. And that I think I can is the spirit that that is that special kind of crazy. But, you know, learning the business of the business and and we break it down into the profit platform. So the profit platform really is outlined by business development, organizational engineering, process engineering, and KPI or financial measurements. So think of operational measurements are key indicators in your business that tell you how the health and welfare of your business is. So you have your financial statement, your balance sheet, and then operational measurements. And those are really key to drive behavior with the people you hire and the processes you put in place. So loosely termed, we sell it. We hire the people to be able to either sell it or manage it. We are process driven or procedurally driven in the company. And then we have to manage that behavior through clearly defined measurement to ensure that our people are producing a profitable project. And I always say, if you bid it at a dollar and it costs you a dollar two to do the work, when you sell $10, you can imagine your 20 cents light. Well, you, send a, you sell $100,000 with that, now you're 2,000 light. Mm. That's how businesses go broke because they don't manage either side of that stick, either the performance of the people, process or procedure put in place, and how do they measure during the game. And I always equate it to a football game. You know, if you get to the end of the game, and in a football season, you got 16 games, well, at the third game of the season, you get this guy running down the sideline with a little envelope in his hand that tells you whether you made or lost money two games ago. Likelihood is you're not going to win a whole lot of games during the year unless you're lucky. Right. Yeah. Because it's too late at that point. It's yeah. too late. Game's yeah. been played. Right. Right. I hear you. Hopefully that helped define a little bit in a, in a metaphoric sense. Sure. Absolutely. Speaking of starting, how about – what should our uh, listeners going into business for themselves, what should they be aware of in their first year? What, what should they be looking for? So let's get back to strategic planning and the profit platform, really the vision for kind of, I took very complex business principles and I distilled them down into clearly defined pillars of business that people could embrace. Now, each yeah. pillar, when we think about business development or, you know, business development isn't just sales. Business development is both sales and marketing. So if you think about sales, sales has 15 or 20 different bullet points in it that would require a business owner's attention. So what kind of CRM am I going to use? 
who am I going to hire? How many touches per day? What is my market segmentation? Have I done a competitive analysis? Have I done a market analysis? So when you say what should an entrepreneur concentrate on when they first get started, you have to think about getting the doors open first, right? So you have facilities and asset expense. You may be opening the door with yourself and a partner or yourself and a couple of employees. But most business owners don't start out with 10 employees. They usually start out with themselves and one, themselves and two. So in your strategic plan, know your market, know that you have a marketable product, know that your competitors, because you don't always want to be the cheapest guy in the marketplace. You want to be fairly marketing your product compared to your competition. So if you're $10 cheaper than everybody else, you're leaving profit on the table. If you're $10 more expensive than everybody else, then you probably won't get as much work as the other guy. Right. So knowing what your true costs are, knowing that you're bidding and covering your overhead and knowing that you're capturing work that you can perform, right, is based on cost management. So not just revenue management, but cost management. Mm. I always tell business owners, let's sit down. Use a pencil, not a pen, and let's define what our true costs of opening the doors are going to be first. That's going to be our first capital expense. Then the next exercise is sustainability. How am I going to go to market? How am I going to sell that product? How am I going to price that product? And how do I know that I will turn a profit? Which is when I said to you, you can turn a profit in month one. It takes a finite exercise of ensuring it's going to happen. That's an engineered profit. It is most likely that you can make a profit on goods sold, but the overall business may not yet be profitable for three months, six months, nine months, 12. So you have to prepare for that shortfall in cash flow. Right, right, right. That makes sense. I didn't mean to geek out on you, by the way. (laughs) That's okay. I I can quickly jump up on my soapbox and go through a geek out (laughs) Yeah, a little geeking out is, I think, a good thing. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing wrong with that. Can you talk about when everyone's starting a business, obviously there's going to be issues that are going to come up. Can you talk about some landmines to business that come up? So I always like to start with the people pillar when I think about somebody going into business. I've seen so many occasions over the course of my career where two good friends go into business. Yeah. And at the end of the year, they're not friends anymore, right? So. When you are going into business, landmines outside of the monetary issues that we talked about is really having clearly defined communication, defined roles and responsibility. And and I'm talking about something more than a job description. You know, it's funny. Everybody says, oh, well, I need my employees to have job descriptions, of, of which, of course, as an analyst, I'm going to agree with. But my view of a comprehensive performance based job description means that there is a clear communication, there's a clear measurement process. The employee that you're hiring knows how they're compensated and that compensation is tied to a measurable that the employee can take ownership of. Yeah. A lot of times we put unrealistic measurements in place which demotivates as opposed to motivates. Yeah. So there has to be clearly de- de- defined responsibility and measurement. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of performance-based compensation. You know, the more you can get your employees vested in what you're doing, why it's important, whether you're talking about tool costs or manufacturing costs or transportation costs, the more the employee believes that they're participating in the benefit of the company, 
as opposed to the company being the only one that benefits, yeah. the more likely you are to be able to get better performance out of that out of that that individual that is engendered into your vision and their own personal gain. Now, keep in mind when I say employees are motivated by four fundamental things and comp is the last one. Right. Number one is esteem value. So being recognized, knowing, especially, and people use the word millennial as like a four-letter word nowadays. (laughs) So I don't believe that. I think millennials are great. I think they have shared values. It's just a generational difference. But people talk about millennials having the propensity to job hop. And I would say it's the environment you're creating more than it's their fault. So in leadership, when you hire somebody and you bring them into your organization, clearly defined communication, expectation, and comp brings people in an organic environment to want to embrace the mission or vision of the company. People want to be successful just as a human nature. That makes sense. Absolutely. So there was four failures that I just pointed out in that very long answer to a short question, but hopefully your listeners are are scribbling feverishly. (laughs) Hopefully. But we're we're also going to have a show notes page. We'll have uh, most likely like a transcript and maybe we'll make some notes on there too of a few things. Yeah. And I don't want to sound pretentious. I'm just want to, uh, you know, I've spent my life saving businesses. Yeah. I feel like the the last 16 and a half, 17 years of my life has been all about people back from the brink. My my favorite clients who are up and running, but they're just underperforming. You know, they're making four or 5% net profit, which is just enough, by the way, to cover their obligations to the bank, cover their obligations to tax. And if they're growing a little bit, the, the company is going to eat up that cash flow. Yeah. So typically what a business owner is making is their paycheck. Yeah. And instead of instead of the business being able to create not just their paycheck, but be able to contribute to long term life strategy. Yeah. I see that a lot. I see businesses underperform. You know, one of the key questions I ask clients is, what is your plan for distributions? And we're talking about an S Corp or an LLC. And it's amazing to me, ninety percent of clients do not attribute distributions as part of their own earning portfolio, especially when they're in business five years and less. You know, the idea is I'm going to open a business, I'm going to make profit, and then I get to keep that profit. Rarely is that true. You open a business and then you reinvest back in your business. You're buying equipment, you're hiring employees, you got to put money into receivables, you've got inventory. So all that money is eaten up in the operations of the business. And, And the planning that goes into what type of profit are we going to make or engineered profit that we're going to make to be able to cover my obligations and then have a little left over is a, a fundamental failure. You know, being able to have working capital and still be able to extract a limited amount of dollars on a pre-planned basis for a business owner, I think is critical, right? That's, that's the little, that's the little gravy that, that is left over after a long, hard year. Yeah. And the first five years are the toughest. It's true. It's like you said, most of them are out of business within the first five years. If I can save one more each and every day, that's what I tell my team. I get up in the morning and I say, what will I? And, and what that means internally for our, for our team is we put our feet on the floor every single day and we ask how we're going to make a difference today. You know, if you're in service of others, you got to raise others up and you will rise. It can't be about you. It can't be about selfish. Yeah. So I wasn't meaning to sound pretentious yeah, before. Yeah. To me, it is a passion about saving one more business owner 
that gets themselves over the tip of their skis. And by golly, it doesn't have to be that way. That sounds good. You know, I think it goes back to you made a mention earlier, something about um, going into business for profit versus something else, you know, something higher, mm-hmm. a, a value. Businesses that are the most successful, the people that are the most successful, the ones that have a, a higher calling to their business, that are doing something important, that are bringing some value to this world in some way. And as opposed to, like you said, going into business for greed. I mean, yeah, there are people that do that. But earlier, you also made a mention of the, the four things that motivate employees. And the money was the last one. It's number the, four. Yeah, it's the least motivational for people. I mean, people may not realize that. It's counterintuitive almost. But that's true. People are, are, we're human, right? Different things motivate us. And oddly enough, it's not money that's at the top of the list. Esteem value is number one. Yeah. They want to be recognized. Sure. Right. They want to be rewarded. Right. Most likely not monetarily. So reward can come in many ways. And I think that's why social media is potentially so big now. Powerful. That's right. Because it's that reward. It's that uh, recognition people are getting there, right? Immediate gratification, though. There's a little, I could, we and I could have a discussion about social media that would, would take up the rest of the podcast. So I don't want to jump off, jump off the rabbit trail, but absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You. So obviously when you're trying to help people save their businesses, try to become more profitable and such, I know from experience that people can oftentimes be resistant to change. These people need to make changes to their businesses. So what is it that in your experience, What's the resistance that people are giving to change? So I'm going to use I'm going to use an example of our discovery to kind of illustrate how we approach that very specific problem. First off, we as Coaching Analytics cannot and will not take every client. Right. And the key to that taking on a client, number one issue is monetary return. So if we sure. do a discovery and we're able to absolute, without question, come to an agreement with client that there is a monetary return based on the way they're running their business and the way their business should be improved. That's issue number one. I can do that about 95% of the time in every discovery we've ever ran in history. Right. The most important and the way I manage my analysts, the way I manage my project directors is about personal accountability. So we give our clients, when we do a holistic review in the discovery process, that is a deliverable unto itself and is about engaging the client in their business, what's going on, whether it be business development, organizational process procedure or measurement, and distilling that down in a way that they can see their business in a very tangible way. Sometimes the very first time We've had a number of clients say, you know, that's the first time I've ever looked at my business that way. Hmm. And that's that's that seminal moment when a hmm. client recognizes what they don't know. Right. So the key to us is vigorous personal accountability. When I know I have a client that is looking at their business, they, they've been able to go through the discovery process and learn what they don't know and then take responsibility for what they don't know. Hmm. That's the magic, yeah. you know, and, I, and I've represented clients that are fifth generation. I've represented clients that were startups. It's always the same story, Kev. You got to have somebody that reaches that point that says, we're okay, but okay ain't good enough. Right, right. We know that the market would allow us to perform better. I feel, and I love clients that say, well, I feel it's not right. 
You know, I, I can feel that it's not going in the right direction. I can feel. So it's interesting. Most entrepreneurs can tell you where they are in that life cycle. And what happens if you're living, living in mediocrity long enough, you know, that personal ego goes away yeah. and the search for answers takes over. Mm. When they get to that point where they're searching for answers, change resistance goes down. Yep which is the best time to represent somebody. You, you almost, you know, in life, I always say you climb mountains and, you know, when you get to the top of that first mountain and you look out over the world, you realize that there's a whole lot more mountains you got to climb. Right. Right. Everybody climbs and climbs and climbs. They get to the peak and they yeah. look out and they realize it's a mountain range. Yeah. So it's the, it's the ebb and flow that you go through as a business owner that as long as you're humble, which I think leadership requires humility, as long as you're humble enough to recognize and take ownership of what you do and do not and do not know, yeah, I think that is where change resistance breaks down. And I and I I do this counseling or coaching session probably every day of every week of every month of every quarter of my life, and I could keep doing that exercise. Change is the one constant, right? Yeah. It isn't. It isn't all the other things that are constant. Change is the one constant you can That's count true. on. That is absolutely true. Other than death and taxes, right? <laughs> Both of which are changed. <laughs> Both of which are changed, that is for sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I, it's interesting that you say that, too. I've about getting over the mountain and seeing that there's more mountains. Yeah. I think that sometimes you're right. That is people's resistance is that they don't see the other side yet. It's kind of like this. Like I, Some people may not know this. I have a black belt in Taekwondo, third degree. and A third Don. Technically, I'm a second Don, but I say I'm third Don because when I moved to New York City, I, was, I used to train up in Maine, which is where I'm from. And I moved to New York City, and I found out after I had moved that my instructor, because he always kept it quiet. He never told you when he was going to test you. I found out after I moved that he was about to give me my third degree. If I'd just oh. been around for like two more weeks, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> if you told me that, I would have been around for two more weeks. <laughs> did, did you find a good dojo in the city? No, you know what? I never I never ended up doing it. I've just been busy working. And then like a couple of years later, like I had a hip injury that kind of made it so it was hard for me to do it. I'm always kind of practicing on my own. But anyway, getting back to the story is that my experience that, that martial arts taught me in life was that... When I was younger, and I was a uh, you know white belt, orange belt, yellow belt, coming up through the ranks, I used to look at the black belts and be like, "Oh man, look at those guys! They are good. They you know they know everything, you know." Yep. And so I was, I can't wait to be. I'm, I'm the black belt. I'm going to be expert. I'm going to be good, an expert, right? And the funny thing that happened to me is that once I became a black belt, I realized how good I wasn't. That's right. I realized how much there is to learn about martial arts. It's, well, great metaphor for business. Yeah, it's just that entry level. I, I My experience now in life is that you're an expert when you realize what you don't know. Amen. And, and I, I challenge my people. You know, it's funny you, you bring up this topic in our podcast that we have this conversation institutionally. You know, when I have some very talented people, MBAs, JDs, CPAs, you know, these are not just undergraduate. These are folks with graduate studies. And then you put them in front of a client 
Right. And, you know, most of my project directors have had pretty storied careers before they come into this industry. And it's about service to others. A lot of people find their way here because, you know, they hear about it. You know, they hear about consulting. A friend tells them that consulting is great. And I had a conversation with a gentleman last week who has had a, a storied career, you know, 35 years, multiple senior positions. Yeah came into our organization, went through our training program, went out in the field with another project director and continuing education. Then he had his first client. And we were talking the, the third day on that particular project. And he, and he called me and said, Rob, you tried to tell me. And I kind of, yeah, I got this. Yeah, I got this. Oh yeah, I've got, I've done this. And in that third day of the project, he called me on the phone and he said, you know, you told me no less than a half a dozen times for as good as I was, how much I had no clue about. <laughs> and I said, okay, good. Now the learning's about to start. Right. Because that is that seminal moment yes. when you, as you just put it, you realize what you don't know. Right. And, and now you're responsible in my line of work. We have a fiduciary responsibility to our clients, their families, their employees. Yeah. You know, the impact between running a tough business and a well-run business right. usually means a lot of lives are impacted. And I try to impress that on my staff every single day. Yeah. This is not a J-O-B. And, and I'll give you a funny, Kev. I tell every person that interviews, and I always do last interview, regardless of the size, when we're when we're a substantially greater organization today, I think I will keep this tradition up. But I tell everyone who comes into this, you will either become addicted to what we do for a living, or it will be like clawing your eyes out with two rusty spoons. <laughs> Business owners, are, are they're going to push back. They're, they have their personal structure, their belief system, their family system, their viewpoint on the world. And it is our job to be able to take those strengths and be able to put them into a tangible, functional business that can excel. So, and that's not an easy prospect. And you yeah. touched on it in your last question about managing change. Right. It is how do you create that clarity for somebody and then get them to take ownership of it? Yeah. That's the magic. Right. Yeah, that's what yeah. that's what the two rusty spoons are about. Because no matter where you've been in your career, the minute you're in front of a client, now that that's when life really starts. Yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. So I think probably a lot of people uh, that are listening to this that might want to be going to business themselves are probably thinking, okay, great, but what do I need to prepare for before I go into business? Uh, do you think you could have an answer for that? Good business plan, good market, clear product offering, clear pricing and an engine to be able to generate revenue called business development. Right. So if you're going with core basics, this is what I need before I start. Mm -hmm. I always recommend a SWOT analysis, which, you know, it's interesting. I've done SWOT analysis for a bunch of different reasons. The original reason for doing a SWOT is really about the strategic planning element yeah. or historically a more mature company. Yeah. But I, I do SWOT analysis on individuals. Tell me what their strengths, their weaknesses, their opportunities, and their threats are. Yeah. I do it with a very mature client, and I do it with startups because yeah. I want people to understand the exercise of what are all the questions you have to ask yourself before you jump out of the plane. Yeah. So if I give you a metaphor, I've jumped out of a plane almost a thousand times in my life. Yeah. 
right? I, I would hate to have jumped out of the plane and forgot my shoot. <laughs> that would be a problem, yeah. <laughs> so the same thing is in business, right? Because there's no real do-overs. Right, right. Right, and we have a couple of exercises that we take clients through in a startup phase that is all about asking themselves the right questions. How do I get back to control? Mm. Because opening a business is most most often a fairly uncontrolled process. True. And I want to put the control back in the client's hands. So you ask me a simple question, I'll give you, you know, five very clear, please do these things. But the SWOT analysis is the exercise. Sit down and ask you, what are my strengths? What are my market strengths? What are my people's strengths? What are my process strengths? And then what are my weaknesses, right? Yeah, strengths, yeah. strengths and weaknesses are internal to your company. Opportunities and threats are external. So if you think about a blowing up a balloon, mm. right? Internal pressure pointing outwardly is strength and weakness. Pressure externally presenting itself on the business, putting pressure on that balloon from outside yeah. influences yeah. is opportunity threat, right? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Right. But that exercise unto itself, we will take you through asking yourself questions in preparation for what you do next. Very good. Very good. It's interesting, too, that you said how important control is to be in control because we talk about that, too, here, Wealth Tactic Rebels, that oftentimes the single most important thing about anyone's wealth tactics, about how they're managing their wealth, is the control aspect. Absolutely. Sometimes it's more important than how much profit you're getting. If you had two situations with your money, you could do this with your money or you could do that with your money. The result is the same, but one of them gives you better control. Always go control. Go control. You don't want to be out of control of your money. You want to be in control. And same thing with your business, which... Which is the single largest asset. And I got to make this very clear to the listeners we have today. Most people think about the stock market. Well, if I have money in my 401k and I invest in the stock market and I get to check all the blocks on who I want to put my money into, and then I wait for some other CEO to determine how much return on that investment I get. Yeah, right. The interesting thing about your company is that you have stock that will be issued in your company that you put your hard-earned money into. The difference is you have control over the result. Yeah. So instead of putting your money into a stock market, waiting for somebody else to make a mistake, you've got control of this investment and your company, that equity you've just built in your company is your single largest asset. This is a wealth creation vehicle and you should treat it as such. If your business is not giving you a return on investment, it ultimately is because there should be something better being done with that business. Right, right. Okay. And that's a good value bomb for our listeners too, I think. Rob, before we before we end today's discussion here, uh, do you have any other little tidbits of value information that you could give to our authentic rebels? You know, maybe something to avoid along the way, or something they should do. Something in your experience? Don't don't grow too fast. It is the number one killer of small business. If we go back to the very first question you asked, we talked about what would it take to break even and how do you capitalize and how much working capital you need over what period of time. Mm. Most of that is impacted by the three other people that you, that get paid before you do the bank, the government and growth. And most people forget about growth, right? Growth costs money, right? 
And if, if you're thinking you can grow your company from zero to $5 million and you're going to do that in two years, my first question is, how are you going to pay for it? True. Because no matter what profit you make, you may have a very profitable company and I can't count on both hands, both feet, and my buddies, both hands and both feet, how many clients I've had to save from growing at themselves out of business. Yeah. Good point. So that's my, that's my value bomb number two. I agree. That's not something probably someone any would have really thought of, actually. Again, almost counterintuitive. Most people would think, oh, geez, I have more opportunity for more profit. I'm going to take it. But in reality, they bite off too much, you know, more than they can chew. <laughs> How are you going to cash flow it? Yeah. Take too big of a bite, you can't breathe. That's right. <laughs> so, well, great. Thank you for the value bombs there, Rob. Been a great discussion with you. I really appreciate your time here today and talking with our Wealth Tactic Rebels. Kevin, I very much enjoyed it. If I could, if I could encourage your listeners to please go to our website, look at the profit platform. The only thing that's missing from that Venn diagram is the strategic planning circle that goes around it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I tried to distill it down to its four four pillars. Sure. You know, do a deep dive on our website. Look at what we do with our clients. You know, watch a couple of videos. Watch, get a sense of of the stories of other people that are going into business or are in business just like you are, yep. and listen to the challenges that they went through in in doing what you're about to do or what you do currently. If, if you can get a tidbit, a nugget, a direction, don't hesitate to reach out to us, send us an email, sign up for a newsletter. Yep. Our whole marketing strategy is thought leadership, Kevin. We don't we don't say come do business with Coach and Analytics. We put business intelligence out every single week of every single month. So follow us on Facebook, follow us on on LinkedIn, follow us on Twitter. If you want to engage with us, I do a special every time I do these podcasts. Mm -hmm. Anybody that comes out of the podcast, say, hey, you listen to the podcast and we will do a two to three day discovery with you for $1,200. Good deal. Which essentially covers travel costs and sundries. But that discovery is the most powerful experience you will go through because it will be a full holistic review of your business, financial performance, organizational review, process review, and measurement review. The idea is to give you immediate tools that you can have an impact tomorrow on your company. It empowers you and your team to be better. Very good. Excellent. And of course, I'm going to put links to Rob's website for Cogent Analytics on our website, wealthtacticrebels.com. Go to the show notes page and find Rob's interview show notes page there. Rob, what's what's your website for them to go to? It's just cogentanalytics.com? Yes, it is. www.cogentanalytics.com. Very good. And, you know, you go to our website. Don't forget to also, you can download our free guide to the three key areas that you might be losing money unknowingly and unnecessarily. And, uh, Rob, anything else to say before we say goodbye? We have a bunch of white papers, case studies, blogs, articles in trade magazines. You know, there is a huge substance. If you want reading material, if you want to self-educate, we purposely put out a bunch of information to support the American entrepreneur. So that's, that's, that's my last shameless plug. (laughs) Okay. Very good. Again, go to wealthtacticrebels.com. You can get all that uh, wealth of information there. And um, thank you for joining us again, Rob. It's been a privilege and an honor. As well as us. And thank you for joining us, Wealth Tactic Rebels. Have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? 
Take our course, Ingenious Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, screenshots, downloads, and a step-by-step guide to help you. See your progress with quizzes, a final, and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticsRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.